Do you believe in rogue polls? I think statistically they they do exist. The National Party has dismissed the latest Reed Research poll as rogue. I don't believe it at all. I think it's entirely out of kilter. The poll has National at 25% support, while Labour climbed to almost 61% its highest result ever. It's still bad news for National. They're caught in this downward spiral and screaming, it's a rogue, it's a rogue. Only reminds me that it rhymes with let's blame Bogue, let's blame Bogue. I mean, there's a 1 in 20 chance that the results you get are outside the normal kind of umbrella of statistical certainty. This is drastic and uh, I think uh, inconsistent with our own polling. The available facts do suggest that this one is rogue. Both Labour and National do internal polling consistently and neither of them are getting these numbers. The polling itself is clearly wrong. When you see it, you've also got to ask the question, well, do the results stack up against what you've seen during that period leading up to when the poll finished? And so you've got to balance it out. Typically, no-one's happy with a poll result. This is The Detail. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. And today we're talking polls. Here's one take from a statistician on whether that disastrous poll this week for National is rogue or not. Well, either this one or the previous one. So the last two polls that have been published have been really different. More on that later. But first, meet Murray Campbell, long-time political pollster who runs Baseline Consultancy. We started off when TV3 kicked off 1989, right? So... Back when everything was glossy and new, we we started with them, and I worked right through until 2014-15, maybe. So here's his take on poll results and this week's survey that was branded rogue. Not everyone's happy with a poll result. What, so even the Prime Minister wouldn't be happy with Oh, I mean, I I guess privately she'd be delighted, but I I, I think you can't please everyone with a poll, that's for sure. No, but what makes a rogue poll? What what are the elements in that that you'd be looking at? It's, okay. what what you'd look at is a twist in the trend beyond, I guess, your your intuition of, of what's fair and reasonable. And, you know, a real gut, reaction would be if if the result for Labour had dropped to like 42 or 37, you think, my God, what, what's happened there? Whereas what we saw with National, I think there was so much going on within the National Party camp, caucus, its um, support routes that, you know, that there was, I think, a fair degree of uncertainty, probably more so than the new leaders of the National Party had wished for. And, uh, and I think there was a cumulative effect that meant they weren't advancing it in anywhere near the pace they thought they should have. You weren't surprised to see that figure? Not overly surprised, because when Simon Bridges lost his um, leadership of the party, he was on about 29 30%. And I think if you fast forward from that decision to change the leadership, has National really advanced its argument to be leading the next government or not. And I, I think particularly during the eight days that um, the t- TV3, the Reed Research poll was running, there was a lot of bad news coming out of the national camp, which the voting public were trying to absorb and understand. Politicians do tend to be critical of polls, don't they? They do. If they're not happy with them, then they yeah. they complain that polls aren't accurate. Why do you think you're not doing so well in the polls at the moment? Because your polls are crap. And he was just warming up. Your polls are rubbish. Your problem is you haven't got the intellectual capacity to absorb the mistakes of your polling industry. And you're not going to win. You're going to fail. And he wasn't done yet. But you're so arrogant 
you decide you'll mislead the public. You should be up in front of the court for the breach of the Sale of Goods Act. I've run polls for over seven elections and three Māori elections as well. I've been in the green room with quite a few candidates who all tell me that everyone they speak to is supporting them. And that's what you'd expect because, you know, they're either in situations where their supporters are surrounding them or a lot of New Zealanders are too polite to tell, you know, a candidate that, oh, there's no way I'm going to vote for you. So, yeah, that there is that kind of closed circuit of, well, everyone I'm talking to is supporting me, so how can this number exist? But I think if you look at the track record, you know, over the last 20-odd years, which is on the uh, Research Association website of comparing uh, election predictions to the election night result, it's incredibly accurate. I mean, it's well beyond chance that be it the Colmar Brunton poll or the Reed Research poll or the Digi poll when they were running or whoever else was publishing a poll at the time, more, way more often than not, we were within one or two points of the election night result. So I looked at the Research Association's website and sure enough, that's what the tables show from the last six elections. We're talking about polls taken in the week leading up to election night. And yes, they were within one or two points of the actual results. And some were... Dead accurate. Why is that? Because, you know, you look around the world and Mm. recently polls haven't been accurate. There's a few answers to that. There's about 150 countries that are democratic and most of them have pollsters. I, I used to work at, at a global level on this, so I've met quite a few of them from Israel to Portugal, etc. And and the media only focuses on the the polling predictions that are wrong. They don't say, hey, congratulations, Portugal has got it right again, or Germany always gets it right, as is the case in, in, in Holland and, and Israel. They are just incredibly accurate in their political polling. But it's not news. It is news when the, the Brexit polls incorrect or obviously the, the Trump um, getting over the line. But that's a weird one too because the polls predicted very accurately the share of the vote. They just didn't get which of the colleges were, were going to bring Trump across the line. Mm. But back to New Zealand, I was always told when I was, when I was working around the world on polling that New Zealand was probably one of the easiest countries in the world to conduct a poll, and that's true. We're, we're a small population, high level of English, high level of connectivity to a phone, a mobile, online. Um, we're typically very compliant and truthful. So, it you know, all said and done, probably New Zealand, if you're going to pick any country to run a poll in, New Zealand would be one of the best. So how do, how do they actually work? Just explain to me. Is it mobile phone calls? Oh, look, when it first happened, when Halen was running the show, and only Halen, it was face-to-face. And then it went to telephone. Face, what, knocking on the door? Yeah, and... yeah, there was a small army of people. And the woman, Reed Research, she ran the Halen face-to-face poll, which was door-to-door, door-knocking. Right? That must have been incredibly accurate because it's hard to tell a lie when you're telling someone it. <laughs> they did face, pretty well. It? I thought they did pretty well. But so, uh, so it, it's progressed from kind of door-to-door to telephone, and now there's hybrids. Both Colmar and Reed do uh, a combination of telephones still to landlines, and then they balance that out either through mobile phone numbers or online. Those methodologies have been in place for 
at least the last two elections, and again, they've, they've proved to be pretty accurate. And are they random numbers? That yeah, call? that's literally how they do it. They have um, a random number generating software. So it's not looking for phone numbers that might be in the old white pages or something like that. They'll, they'll pick a number, so it's for Auckland or Greater Auckland, it's 09, then it might be 437, and then they'll generate randomly the last four digits. That's done by computer, and then the computer tests whether that number exists. So it just it, it will dial... You'll hear a pop and say, okay, that number has connected. We know that's a good number we can use. And then when they start the polling process or, or the surveying process, there's any number of sample um, quota that we have, be it age, gender, location, sometimes ethnicity. How get... do you know that from like a mobile phone number, oh, though? If, say, you were interviewed, mm. right, um, the interviewer might say, hey, I'm doing a, a survey for Colmar or for, for Reed Research, and they'll ask a few sampling questions or screener questions, and they'll go through, I'm just checking we've got a good cross-section of people. Can you tell me which age group you belong to? And I can hear that you're a female. And, and they know typically know the location, but they'll double-check it. And once they've cross-referenced ac- across those three or four variables, they'll say, thank you very much. Um, you've already, we've already filled our quota, which can sound a bit disappointing, or they'll, they'll proceed. How many people would be questioned for, for example, the read research? It's a thousand. A thousand. Yeah. yeah. But would, a number, of course, would have to be made before they it's get that thousand. It's a great question. It's a great question. You'd be blown away. It's, it's in the tens of thousands of numbers that get called. Gosh, before they can... Before they can finish off their their thousandth interview, polling companies vary in terms of how many callbacks they make. But say I dialed my father's number, right? So he's on a landline. And say he didn't answer the phone for the first, second, third. I would try and contact him at least five times before I substituted that number for another number. And I would make those calls over different times and sometimes over different days. So I wouldn't just try and call them back five times in a row in five minutes. You'd say, okay, uh, call not answered, go back into the pile. Call not answered, go back into the pile. And it's really important that you're getting hold of the busier, harder-to-reach people. Oh. So that, that's, a, that's a crucial part of the kind of secret source of political polling is how many callbacks you make before you substitute for a new number. Well, and why is it important that you get try and get hold of the harder to reach busier people? Because their voting intentions are different from the people who answer the phone on the first go and the first ring, typically. In what way? Uh, I, I think that the, the busier, harder to reach people are, point one, they might be working longer hours. And that typically has some sort of political leaning. Um, age has uh, a different impact, particularly if you're trying to get hold of a 19-year-old male living on the West Coast, which we tried to do. It's, you know, you really got to try hard because he's just really busy <laughs> doing his stuff. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. But that, that, that. that's the reality of it, yeah. Do you stipulate to that oh, yeah. level? You say, right, we need a 19-year-old mm, male on the mm, West Coast, mm, wo- a working... Mm, working. Mm. Yeah, there were, um, I don't have it on me, but the, when I was helping running it, we had a, a spreadsheet, and there was about, was about 430 
different segments that we were after. That's why it's expensive, mm. point one. And that's why, you know, if, if someone says they can do a poll in one night or two nights, they might, they might get a 1,000 people, but is it the 1,000 people who are representative of the massive cross-section of New Zealanders? You know, those people who are working night shift, those people who are sharing a flat with eight others. It's, 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 it has to reflect the complexity of the voting public we're trying to understand. The person who's asking the mm. question, the survey, would they have a list in front of oh, them? Oh, yes. It's very controlled. It, it just comes up on a screen. They can't deviate from that list of questions. They can't free will. It's just, okay, here's the list of questions. And depending on what their answers are, it will then branch out to the next set of questions. Because I saw with the research poll on MediaWorks the other Mm. day that one of the questions is about trust. I think the country absolutely trusts me. Actually, no, they don't really, but they do trust the PM. We asked, do you trust Jacinda Ardern? An overwhelming 79.4% said yes, just 17% no, and a few didn't know. Judith Collins, on the other hand, just 30.8% said they trust her. 49.7% do not trust Collins, and for 19.6% of voters, the jury's still out. Closer to the election, there's more of a focus on the character and personality of the leading candidates, which is what we saw the other night. Trust can win or lose elections. How much do people, how much do the public care about them? How Are they more important to the politicians than the public, do you think? Interesting question. I think it varies as to who the public is. <laughs> and New Zealand's different because I don't think the New Zealand voting public is as galvanised about elections as in other countries. Like in France, I've been in the Philippines during elections and that's highly engaged and a bit dangerous. Whereas in New Zealand, I I, I think they're a bit more laid back uh, about it. But I think for people who are genuinely uncertain as to which party to support, I think they're more attentive to what the, the polls are saying and particularly some of those more nuanced questions about policy and personality. Do polls dictate voting? I don't think they dictate. I think they influence those people whose mind has yet to be made up. So when you see figures like this one in in this week's Read Research poll, is that self-fulfilling? Yeah, the whole self-fulfilling prophecy can sometimes backfire. And I think any politician worth his soul will say, look, this is not a foregone conclusion. Either get out and vote or conversely, crikey, we are on the back foot. Come on, you know, you you know in your heart of hearts you want to support this political party. Go out and vote and and tell your neighbours to vote, etc. And I think it's fair to say that this 25-61% share of vote between National and Labour will close up as we get closer to September the 19th. And, and as you say, each of the political parties, or the main political parties, have their own oh, yes. polling yes. teams. Yeah. Yeah. Do they ask different questions? No. no. So they are asking the same questions, but it seems like they, they are delivering different results, which we often don't hear about uh, unless they're I, leaked. I think the fundamental questions are practically the same about voting intention and preferred prime minister. They, because... 
they have bigger budgets, right? And it matters more. They focus a lot more on the minutiae of policy and of the personality and um, performance of the, the leaders. So, yeah, they've got deeper pockets and there's more riding on it. So they ask more questions and bigger questions. Yeah. And is any of this um, surveying face-to-face anymore? Not to my knowledge, no. No. Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? It's just, it, 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 it's impossibly expensive. How much does one poll cost to, to conduct oh, I, roughly? I can't tell you. Thousands. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tens yeah. of thousands. Tens of thousands. But, the, you know, back in the day when Halen was doing it for, for Television New Zealand, everyone's door was open, right? <laughs> Fewer people lived in apartments. There was no gated communities. You know, some of the stories I've heard, you know, is, is it the, the, one of the biggest challenges was not to accept the next cup of tea and biscuit as you went from place to place. Well, that was then, but back to those rogue polls. Auckland University professor Thomas Lumley is a statistician. He's done an analysis for the spin-off and he reckons Jerry Brownlee's confused things. That's mixing up two ideas that... Occasionally, polls are are rogue. They give really weird answers. And separately from that, one in 20 polls does slightly worse than the quoted margin of error. But those are two different things. It's perfectly normal. It's what you'd expect for one poll in 20 to do slightly worse than the sort of advertised margin of error. And then occasionally, you get polls that are just weird, and it's hard to tell uh, what's going on and why they're off by so much. You wouldn't call this poll a rogue poll then? This one I actually would. Well, either this one or the previous one. So the last two polls that have been published have been really different. One had uh, national support up near 40, and then this most recent one had it much, much lower. Mm. And so at least one of those is wrong. There's the, It's off by a lot more than you'd expect. Possibly both of them are, and the truth is somewhere in the middle. In the long term, even in the fairly short term, we'll get more polls, and so we'll be able to see what's happened. I mean, we can't rule out that the true support for National suddenly shot up 10 points and then shot back down again. We'll never be able to rule that out. But which one of those polls, if either, is reliable, we'll get a much better idea when we get another one or two polls. But in this report that you have done, in this analysis... Can you just take me through what you did? Yes, so what I was trying to show was the 1 in 20 variation that you expect. Under a sort of the ideal perfect mathematical world, you'd think of taking a random sample of the New Zealand voting population. Everyone would have the same chance of being included and so on. And because that's mathematically very simple, you can work out how much how close you'll get to the true answer. And so we can say that in 19 out of 20 polls, we'll be within 3% of the right answer. And so that's the maximum margin of error that people always quote. Why 19 out of 20? Why t- every 20 yeah, because, polls? And so that's, that's basically a choice. So there's two things that we choose there. One is how big the polls are. And people do polls of about a 1,000 because that's a reasonable size to be feasible. And then given that, that gives you a sort of range of uncertainty. And you could say that 1 in 20 is is off by more than 3%. Or you could say how much is 50% of the polls off by, which would be 
Oh, a bit more than 1.5%. So half the polls are off by a bit more than 1.5%. One in 20 polls are off by more than 3%. Depending on what probability of being wrong you're happy with, you can have different error sort of margins. And traditionally, people have gone for 1 in 20. So that's what you did. Take and me then, through and it. And so when you, what we saw with that was that... I had 60 sort of simulated polls, and two of them were off by more than 3%, which is about what you'd expect, but they were only off by 3.5%. They weren't rogue polls. They were just didn't quite make the advertised 3%. And now that's sort of oversimplified. Polls in the real world aren't as good as that because you can't get hold of people. Uh, and so you have to do things to try and balance your the sample of people you get. You either keep calling until you get a rep, the sample you want or you don't, but you give more weight to groups that are underrepresented. So perhaps, uh, for example, young people are underrepresented and so you give more weight to each person in that group. Mm-hmm. And those get rid of the bias pretty well. And so that's why you know you see pe- hear people saying that obviously the polls will un- underestimate the vote for the greens because the greens are younger and they're less likely their voters are less likely but that doesn't happen if you look at the elections the greens don't do way better than their polling in fact the last few elections they've done slightly worse than their polling mm. so the that bias correction the reweighting actually does pretty well but it does use up information. The margin of error, the, the sort of variability gets bigger because the polls aren't perfect. And so rather than 1 in 20 being off by more than 3%, it might be that 1 in 20 is off by 4 or 5%. And so the real uncertainty is a bit bigger than the mathematical uncertainty that the pollsters quote. I see. So this poll would be, for national, was off by a huge amount. Well, either this one or the previous one was off by like 10%, which is um, a lot. And then again, though, those ones that are off by like 5%, again, those aren't rogue polls. That's just what polling is like. And then sometimes you get ones that are off by more than you can really explain. And that's where I think the term rogue poll might be useful. But it's not the regular one in 20 thing. It's when that breaks down. Do you think this time around things could be a bit different? It's possible. And so there was a research paper a couple of years ago that looked at polls from all around the world from back to the 1940s. And they have been getting slightly more accurate over time. But the thing that's tricky this time particularly is that people's availability for being called at home is going to be different this year from other years with COVID. So the patterns of who works from home uh, and what they're doing when they're at home and so on, those patterns are different from other years. And so it's possible that that will mess up the sampling. So this year might be worse than previous years, but we don't know yet. And we won't know until September the 19th. But if you get a call from the pollsters, here's a plea from Murray Campbell. I'm invite everyone to participate, which it doesn't take long, Mm. and I think it does contribute to a stronger, informed voting public. That 19-year-old male who's working on the West Coast, please pick up your phone. (laughs) 
That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Murray Campbell and Thomas Lumley. Mā te wā.